Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. Let's see if I can read it back there. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them was light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot in the tramping warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You may be seated. It's always amazing to watch the kids can go out and then, you know, our population drops by two-thirds. But it's good to stand here with you and to think about this Advent season, the living in the in-between. I hope you're finding time to reflect on that, to discover what it means for you and for your family, what it means for us as a larger family of God to live in this in-between time. I want to start with a story, and uh, to do that, as all good stories begin, I'll start with Once Upon a Time. Now this is not, you know, the night before Christmas and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, that's a story for a different time. But this is a story of a nation, of a country that had things quite good. They had experienced a lot of the blessing of God. God had been good to them. And there was a measure of success. They had some really good leaders, and they had some really poor leaders. But they, they made it through the ups and downs of life. But there came a time in this country where the pressures began to come down. Pressure from inside, people not necessarily getting along with one another. Pressure from the outside, other nations pressing in, 
wanting to have some of what this country had, wanting even to invade and take over. And as the pressure rose and various events took place, droughts, difficulty, crops not growing, in all of that difficulty, the country, the people who lived in that nation started to speculate, what do we have to do? How are we going to make this right? And in that argumentation and in that desperation to seek how things could be right, there began to develop two major factions in this country. And the people of this country separated themselves out. And some said, I belong to this group. And I belong to that group. And one of the groups, one of the sections, segments of this society said, you know, if things are going to get better, I think we have the answer. What we need is novelty. We need something new. We need new ways of doing things. And the other faction said, no, wait a minute, no. What we need if we're going to make this happen, if this country is going to come back to rights, the other group said, what we need is to go back to the old ways. What we need is to do things the way they used to be done. We need to get back to the old traditions. And the disagreements became so strong and so argumentative and so challenging that people began to actually hate one another. And so it came about in that country that the people who said, we need novelty, we need change, we need something new and different, that's what's going to make things right again, they moved off into one segment of the country and separated themselves out. And the people who said, no, what, what we need is to get back to the old ways, and the old ways and the old traditions, and they got so caught up in that, they separated themselves out. And the country that had experienced the goodness of God was in such a state that it became two separate countries. Now, as you can imagine, one of these groups, let's say the group that is seeking novelty said, well, we need, we need somebody to lead us. Let's appoint our leaders up here. Let's get it right. And if we get it right, everything will change and we'll take this country back. And the people on the other side who wanted tradition and the old ways said, you know what, if we get just the right leader, then we can take this country back and make it what it should be. 
And both of these groups became more and more and more rigid and demanding, seeking their own way. Those in leadership on both sides were seeking to maintain their own power and control over the nation. And God sent a man, gave him the name, the Lord, Yahweh will save, and sent him to speak directly and warningly and clearly to this nation. Now let me ask you, does this story, it's a true story by the way, resonate with you whatsoever? Does it sound familiar in any way? Now, okay, in a room like this, we're, we're spread out for good reason. The kids are gone, so they're not going to answer me. I can usually count on the kids doing that. So I'm going to count on you to answer me, or at least, you know, give me a nod or a wink or a wave or something so that I know we're in this together. Does this story sound like anything you and I might have experienced? Because the story, you see, thank you, that, I appreciate that with all my heart. I, I don't want to feel lonely up here. This story is the story of God's ancient people, the Israelites, and all that they went through. Thousands of years ago, And it has amazing relevance for you and me today. You see, when we open up the book of Isaiah, God's prophet, the man that he sent, whose name means the Lord, Yahweh will be the one who rescues He sent him speaking to people that weren't necessarily listening. And my hope and my prayer is that I will be, that you will be listening to what God's prophet had to say. Because things were pretty dark in that time. And people were desperate, and they were grasping at any possibility that came along. And people were of the mind, if we only had this, if we only had that, if we only had this leader, if we only had that leader, if we only had a different way of doing things, if we only got back to the old way. And they missed the point. And my hope and my prayer is that we will experience in our own time 
something different than what than they did by missing out on the key point. Two things are true if you want to gain understanding of the writings of the prophet Isaiah. There's two things that you'll want to remember. One, Isaiah comes back again and again to the reality that God is behind all of history. The second reality that Isaiah emphasizes over and over again is that not only is God behind all of history, but God has a plan to send his king, and his king will reign from David's throne in the line of David, God's friend, the one to whom God made a promise, your kingdom will be forever. God had a purpose to send a king in the line of David. And that that king would be the true king, and that king would lead and rule over not just a little city called Jerusalem, not just over people who were Israelites, who were ethnically Jewish, but this would be a king that would reign over the entire world. And that is the scene into which Isaiah comes. Our focus tonight is on the first part of chapter 9, but I want to take you for reflection back into chapter 8 just for a little bit. In chapter 8, God is in the process He's primarily been giving, and throughout the book, giving instructions to Isaiah to say, proclaim these things to the people. Let everybody know. Let all of my people know these things. But in chapter 8, God breaks away a little bit from that direction and gives a sequence of four specific instructions to Isaiah himself. It kind of sounds like what we've been learning in 1 Timothy, that Paul, led by the Spirit of God, is writing to Timothy to say, Timothy, tell the church, teach the church, show the church. By your example, these are the things I want. But then Paul breaks in through the Holy Spirit, breaks in and says, and you, Timothy, I have some specific instructions for you. Well, that's what God is doing as well with the prophet Isaiah. And the fourth of those instructions, those set of instructions, number four, starts in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 11. And so Isaiah writes in Isaiah 8, verse 11, This is what the Lord says to me. With his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of the people. 
And then, as he so often does, you know, I mean, the prophets of old are, are a lot like uh, watching a Disney movie. The drama's playing out, things are going along, and then everybody breaks into song. Uh, Joan and I were watching uh, White Christmas the other night. Anybody familiar? It's a classic. Uh, you can use the fast forward if there's some of the songs you don't care for or that get on your nerves, makes the movie shorter that way. But, but the, the plot, the, the storyline is going on and then all of a sudden people start singing. Well, God's prophets were often like that. They'd be, they'd be giving instructions, they'd be talking, relating what God was saying to them and then they'd break into poetry. Uh, much of the book of Isaiah is actually written in the form of poetry. And so this is what the Lord says to me, Isaiah says. He put his strong hand on me. He was warning me not to follow the way of the people. And here in poetic form are God's instructions to his man, Isaiah. Do not call conspiracy, verse 12 of chapter 8. Do not call conspiracy everything that this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one that you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He will be a holy place. Isaiah goes on in his poem to say in verse 17, I will wait for the Lord, who right now is hiding his face from the descendants of Jacob, God's people. I will put my trust in him. You see, it had gotten so bad that people were grasping at straws and saying, we'll take care of this. We know the way to go. In fact, in that country, the Israelites, God's chosen people, they, they were grasping at all kinds of things. The southern kingdom... had turned, uh, I'm sorry, the northern kingdom had turned to the nation of Syria and said, maybe if we make an alliance with Syria, we can get out of this mess. We don't really agree with Syria. We don't agree with all they stand for, but let's make an alliance so we can get this right. And the southern kingdom said, uh-oh, we can't stand up to the northern kingdom and to Syria. We better reach out wherever we can. <clears throat> and so they made an alliance with Assyria, not to be confused with Syria. Both of them reached out for outside help to get their agenda done, to hold on to the power that they had to keep the country the way they wanted it to be. And it got so bad that 
in Isaiah 8, verse 19, some people went all the way and said, hey, let's consult with mediums and spiritists, the people with the secret knowledge who whisper and mutter. And God reminds him in verse 20, consult God's instructions. Because people that don't speak according to God's word have no light, no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they roam about through the land. When they are famished, they become enraged. And looking upward, they curse the king and even curse their God. Having looked up, then they look down toward the earth and they see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. And this is the context in which we have Isaiah's poem that we are focusing on tonight. And that seems so important and crucial to the message that God has for us that I would like. How do we do with the slide back there, David? I would like us, if we can, to read it together. And I'd like to read it in this way. Isn't it nice having these things up here? I can actually, well, sort of, my glasses. If I look through this top part of my glasses, I can actually see that. And you'll see it's laid out in two different fonts uh, or two different colors. And so what I'd like to do to get us engaged in this, to take this message to heart, is to participate with me in reading it aloud together. And so I'll read the part that's in the lighter color print, and then I'll pause, and you get to read the part that's in the red. Is that red? I'm not good with colors. In a, in a something in the reds, okay? So here we go. Isaiah starts out this way, but... There will be no more darkness for those who were in trouble. Okay. How'd you do with those names? Uh, Just citing various tribes, various areas of the country. Earlier there were Problems and the people came into disrepute. But the time is coming when he will make that whole area glorious. All right. Getting the picture here? There's been a time of great darkness. God will make it different. And the people who walked in darkness 
Okay, now that one you got to say like you mean it. It, it. Maybe it's tough to get out Zebulun and Naphtali and all that, okay? Right? The people who walked in darkness. Ah, that's more like it, okay? Say it like you believe it. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. For those who lived in a land of deep shadows. You know what the exclamation points are for, right? Say it with all your heart. For a child has been born for us. For us. He'll take over the running of the world. Amazing counselor, strong God. His ruling authority will grow. That one I think we should say again, okay? There will be Wow. Could anybody use some wholeness in life? No limits the wholeness he brings. He will rule from the historic David throne. He will put that kingdom on a firm footing and he will keep it going with right and let's say the rest of it together beginning now and always The zeal of the God of the angel armies will do all this. Now, if we closed in prayer right there, what would you go away with? Ponder in your mind, in your heart. Even if we stopped right there, what would you go away with? You see, what we learn from the prophet Isaiah is this. First of all, there will be darkness. God is not in any way surprised, caught off guard, fumbling around, trying to come up with a plan C because we live in a world where there is darkness and oppression and injustice a world filled with people trying to do it their own way, a world which is divided, a world which is broken, a world in which people have gone from dislike of one another to killing one another. There will be darkness, Jesus himself said, In John chapter 16, verse 33, in this world, you will have trouble. God is not surprised. God is not off balance. God's purpose and work have not been disrupted in any way, in any dark experience we might have. 
personal darkness, corporate darkness, national darkness. There will be darkness. You see, in God's way, we are not called to win. Now, God will win. But that's not our calling. Mike, you've got to win. You've got to keep scrapping and fighting until you win. That's not my calling. That's not our calling as a church body. We're not even called to survive. To come out on the other side okay, though God will rescue and God will save. We are called to be faithful to our king's character. See, the, uh, the graphic here is really vivid, isn't it? Matt, did you put that together? Thank you. Okay. Living in the in-between. There will be darkness, and in that darkness, we must recognize that God is at work. We can't get caught up in saying, ah, there's a plot, there's a conspiracy, there's a scheme to break us down. We do know our enemy, the devil, has a scheme, but that scheme will not succeed. We need not panic. And what is the promise? The people who have walked in darkness have seen what? It's okay. Try it out. A great light. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. For those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And we may very well need eyes which are filled with faith and trust in God to see even a glimmer of that light, but we have here God's promise that the people who walked in darkness back in Isaiah's time, in our time, have seen a great light. The people who walked, who lived in deep darkness, lived in a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Some of you familiar with Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Isaiah is using the same kind of Hebrew poetry here that David used to write Psalm 23. 
The Hebrew way of saying deep darkness, living in a land of deep darkness, is to say, just to double up the word, the people living in darkest darkness have seen a great light. Now, no reference here, although it makes me smile, to the Blues Brothers. But let me ask you, have you seen the light? Do you see the light? Can you see that the light has come? I am the light of the world, Jesus said. The ones who walk after me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The light has come. <clears throat> Believe it. Trust it. Whether you can see it right now or not, the light has come. But we live in the in-between, and I want to tell you and reassure you with everything I have, not based on my prediction of how things will go, but based on the promise of God, the light has come and the light will come. And it will come in a way that we could never even imagine. You see, because the light comes to us in the gift, and the gift is whom? Jesus, the Son, S-O-N, <laughs> also S-U-N if you want to put it that way. The light has come in the person of the Son of God, and the light will come in a more vivid way than we've ever seen in the person of the Son of God. We're caught in the in-between. There's light on both sides. Light in the past. Hard to see the light in the present. Light in the future. And it has come in the gift of the Son. And this gift is so great that God decided before the beginning of time that his son would come not just once but twice. The gift was so great that God said, I need and I choose to give it in two parts. Now, let me tell you, when Isaiah's listeners heard this for the first time, here's what they were thinking. Uh, we've had this king called Ahaz. You can go back and read about Ahaz if you want. We've had this king called Ahaz, and he has really mucked things up. People aren't happy with that. And when Isaiah gave this message, 
when he chanted this poetry, sang this poetry to the people, they would have said, ah, finally we're going to get rid of Ahaz. And a son was born whose name was Hezekiah. And Hezekiah acceded to the throne and took leadership. And people said, this is it. We finally got the right guy in leadership. We got the right king. What did they miss? Hezekiah did some good things. Hezekiah did some really stupid things. Hezekiah sometimes listened to God and trusted God, and Hezekiah got panicky, and he said, well, I'm going to, you know, Syria, Assyria, and now there's a new power arising, the Babylonians, and I'm going to draw in the Babylonians in an alliance to get us through this. The people are thinking, oh, it's Hezekiah. That's who we're looking for. But look back in verse 6. A child is born, a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. Okay, that, that could be Hezekiah. And he will be called Amazing Counselor. Strong God, eternal Father, and the Prince of absolute wholeness. Or as we're probably most familiar, the Prince of Peace. As you read through the Bible and you read about peace, we're so used to think of peace to be thinking of peace as the absence of conflict. No conflict. Life is getting easier. That must be peace. But our passage speaks of unlimited well-being and wholeness, of shalom. Shalom is more than the absence of conflict. Shalom is so much more than happiness or success. Shalom is greater than freedom, liberty, having the respect I think I need. Shalom is absolute well-being. Now let let me ask a, a question, and I ask it to myself as well. If if things around me in life and relationships in day-to-day life that I face are not going well, is it possible, is it just possible that I could still live internally by trusting God in a place of well-being. 
Could it be that whether there's peace like a river or sorrows just flooding and crashing over me, I could still say it is well with my soul. And you see, when I can do that, then I can live in the midst of any kind of lingering darkness while I wait in this in-between time and I say, thank you. And I sing and I clap. That was good, yeah? I sing and I clap. And I can say, these good things are upon us. Unlimited well-being and wholeness. And when I live in that state of mind, when I live embracing that reality, then I find myself living much the way David wrote in his poem, which we have as Psalm 25. In you, Lord, I put my trust. I trust in you. Don't let me be put to shame. Don't let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you need ever be put to shame. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. When I embrace and hold the past praise in the present time of darkness, and I look forward to the hope, which I will mention in a moment here, I can find myself walking a straight path, walking in God's way, or as the prophet Micah put it, what is it that the Lord asks his followers to do, to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with my God. That kind of sums up living in the in-between. Living in synchronicity with the character of the king. And how does God wrap up this poem that he gave to Isaiah. No limits to the wholeness he brings. He will rule on the historic David throne over that promised kingdom. He will put that kingdom, his people, on a firm footing and keep it going with fair dealing and right living, which 
justice and righteousness, beginning now and lasting forever. Lasting forever. When we sing the hymns of praise, when we have carols and cookies, we're seeing one half of it, one part of it. And we walk the darkness in between and we have great hope because this is a kingdom that will not fail. God's people in ancient time had this hope but they didn't care for God's timeline. How long has it been since Jesus first showed up, the sun, the light first showed up? This is another chance for you to participate. How long has it been since the sun first showed up? A couple of thousand years. Whew. You know, God, I'd, I'd have done it in a, maybe a couple of months, maybe a couple of years. God, why are you waiting two millennia to, and, and maybe longer to do this? We need it now. And just like God's people of old, we might start to get desperate and we might start to say, I've got to be the change. I have to make it happen. If we just got this or just got that, if we just stopped this or started that, things would be different. And God says through Isaiah in a simple, straightforward, profound way, don't panic and try to do it on your own because our passage this evening ends with this. Beginning now and lasting always. Hear that in between? It's already true. We're still waiting. Both are true. The zeal of the refuge family, uh, the zeal of the candidate Mike voted for, the zeal of all the plans we could make, maybe go back to the old way or try everything new. No, the zeal of the Lord Almighty, the Lord that leads all of the angel armies, the zeal of the Lord will do this. And so as we consider what has come before and we're, we're singing praise about the coming of the sun, we wait with hope and expectation for the prince of shalom, of 
unending well-being to come and make it vivid before our eyes. We need not panic and try to do it on our own. We can rest and we can wait and we can watch for the coming of the Son of God. Lord, I know that I have a tendency to get panicky in the waiting and to try to do things in my own way, to take any means to make things happen. Even, Lord, I have compromised to try to get things to happen. And we, Lord, your people gathered in this room, we've tried all kinds of ways. Teach us, Lord, to rest and to wait and to watch. Because you, the Lord, God, who rules over all the heavenly armies, God who is behind all of human history, God who has promised and has given us phase one of your promise of your son and who will give us the final phase, you will accomplish it. Teach us that that is true. Help us, strengthen us to live with the truth of that promise, to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with you, our God.